What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Next up, what's it like for the half million people who work for Amazon worldwide, especially in the holiday season? How do they get all that stuff to you on the day after you order it? For that, we turn to Alex Press. She's an assistant editor at Jacobin and a freelance writer based in New York City who's written for the Washington Post, Vox, N Plus One, and The Nation. Alex Press, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, there's a genre of YouTube videos I learned about from your new piece at The Nation made by people who work at Amazon warehouses. What are these videos like? Yeah, so these are really dark watching for late at night when you can't sleep. These videos, (laughs) I don't know how many there are. I've watched dozens of them, but they're usually made early on when someone has taken a job at one of Amazon's fulfillment centers, um, and they like any other YouTube video, you know, low budget filmed in someone's room, but describing what the process is of working there. And the intent of these videos is, seems to be from almost everyone I've watched to inform anyone who might be considering a job at Amazon, what it's like, what is the routine, is it mindlessly boring? Most people think, yes, it sort of gets to you that you can't listen to music, that you can't kneel down. But after a while, they all start to sort of blur together. And as I write in the piece, the not unexpected follow-up is that this is a really hard job, and so a lot of people's next video is why I left Amazon, and they've, they don't make it very far as far as how long they're staying there. The turnover is really high at these places. Well, when I was young, there used to be a job called Christmas Temporary. This was at department stores when we had department stores. Of course, the department stores have all been replaced by Amazon. Amazon doesn't have Christmas Temporaries. What is that job called now? So now it's called a seasonal associate. And which... and and what season is that? Is that the baseball season? <laughs> no, that is, of course, the holiday season. So now that Amazon is how we order almost everything, not all of us, but many of us, um, over the holiday season, of course, Amazon's orders are ratcheted up. So they hire another 100,000 or so extra employees for what they call peak season. So that's around Thanksgiving time through Christmas. Um, And so during that time, there's not only this additional workforce, but then permanents, as they're called, people who work year-round, sort of are asked to work certain um, mandatory overtime, their hours shift. So Amazon staffs up. So those, even though the, de- the department stores aren't as around as they used to be, uh, a lot of the people who would have taken those jobs are now seasonal associates at Amazon. 
And there's one seasonal associate at Amazon who's particularly noteworthy in print, not on YouTube. Tell us about her. The book I reviewed for The Nation recently is a first-person, semi-fictionalized account of a woman named Heike Geisler. So she is a German woman who's a very successful novelist in her own right, and like many writers, couldn't get by on the money she was making from writing and from translation work. So she went to work in an Amazon warehouse as a seasonal associate um, a few years ago in Germany. And so this book is what she produced that is based on her time there. And it is, yeah, it's a really remarkable, hopefully we'll have more accounts, but she may be the first that's written about this experience. But Heike Geisler is not your typical Amazon uh, warehouse worker. Actually, I'm supposed to call it a fulfillment center, not a warehouse. She's an accomplished writer. Right. So in a certain way, it's a very odd person to be giving us this account of a very hard job. She is culturally bourgeois. She is an elite novelist. And yet what drove her to work there is the same thing as any other person who's working in this warehouse, which is she as a kid, she couldn't make ends meet, so she needs help. And this is the only job that she can find. And so this is what leads her to work there. And part of the tension of the book that makes it, you know, really interesting is she's coming to grips with the fact that she is, though she may be a successful writer and be different culturally in a lot of ways from sort of the stereotype of an Amazon fulfillment center worker, at a very base level, she is exactly the same. Yeah, you quote her uh, saying that as an Amazon fulfillment center worker, you are generic. You are generic in, in quotes. That's a powerful idea. Let's talk about that for a minute. Sure. I mean, the tension of this book, and if you've ever worked a job that's anything like a manual labor job in an Amazon facility, regardless of your personality, your life history, very quickly you realize that you and everyone else must exist to the same rhythm of the factory. So you don't get to choose how you behave the amount of time it takes you to eat, what your preferences are, you're reduced in a way to what she says in the book is we are like robots. You know, we are just tools. Our hands are just tools. We have no voices. And so very quickly, all of the sort of big ideas we have about our personalities are rendered pretty mute by the base necessities of a job like Amazon. But can't a seasonal worker who's a writer think of this work as uh, as research for their creative efforts? Like, you know, David Sedaris did that diary of being an elf for a department store Santa, what, 25 years ago, and it made him world famous. Sure. And, and Geisler clearly does that, especially at the beginning of the book. The narrator describes how she's thinking of herself as doing research, how she's playing disguise, the Amazon warehouse outfit doesn't fit her right, the vest doesn't fit, and so she pretends she's playing dress-up. But very quickly, she realizes that she can't think about things in this removed way that sort of keeps her from psychically acknowledging that she's now been, I think what, for a lot of people who work these jobs, feels like you're rendered immobile as a person, right? You become a machine. And so part of the tension in this book really is her adapting to the pace of the work and very quickly losing all of the little individual movements she had she had used to keep herself distant. So she goes from being acting somewhat different or refusing little rules to no longer having the energy, both mentally and physically, to keep up that act. And so she just becomes a worker.
actually there's a lot of rules about that Amazon requires you to follow. Uh, tell us about a little more in detail of what the work regime is in an Amazon fulfillment center. As much as it seems like we might be able to figure it out on our own, you know, part of systemizing a sort of machine-like routine is there are many different parts of this assembly process. So people have different titles that are all very specific to Amazon. You know, there are pickers. Pickers are the ones who go through the aisles with the machine telling them where to pick an item, and then they must bring it to this sort of bucket conveyor belt. Then there's someone who is at the bucket who checks the packaging and makes sure it's all right and, and takes the system and inputs this, the item to check. But in this interesting way that really comes out in this book, people are very much reduced to the rules and the machines that they must follow, right? And so the irony, of course, like so many of these jobs in the past, is that if you adhere to all of the rules, you really will fall behind because you have a very high quota of how many items you need to deal with every hour at these jobs. So people start sort of taking all these items at once rather than individually and putting them in boxes. So there's this constant speed-up process that you're subject to, just like in the sort of old visions of the factory work that, say, old Marxists were, were talking about with speed-up and Taylorism. Well, surely the workers at an Amazon warehouse are full of dreams of resistance, of sabotage, of uniting to fight back. What can you tell us about that? Geisler's narrator talks about, she fantasizes as she's being, say, sexually harassed by a manager or forced to work while sick. And all of her coworkers are, of course, regularly working while sick. There's a door in the facility that won't close right during the winter, and so everyone starts catching a cold, but they can't afford to take days off. So Geisler fantasizes about resistance. She imagines what would it be for her and her coworkers to refuse to work in these conditions, and yet she never acts. And what's interesting and really what is, I think the most important thing that's happening within the world of all of these workers worldwide right now is that people are starting to organize and resist while working in these facilities. So um, Geisler's narrator, of course, as I say in the piece, even goes to a picket line at this warehouse after she has left her seasonal associate job, um, and there is a strike happening. And the piece came out just the same week as the first unionization campaign at one of these centers went public in New York City at a Long Island facility. So these jobs are both incredibly difficult to, to really get the energy and the emotion to resist because they're exhausting. You can't get enough time to sleep or to eat, so how could you possibly organize? And yet people are doing it, which really does speak to the fact that there is only so much oppression and exploitation that a person can put up with before they will find the people with them and they'll start building something that's more humane. Well, we've emphasized and many people emphasize that Amazon is a new thing. Amazon has revolutionized the world. It didn't even exist, uh, you know, a decade ago. Along with the, revol the revolutionary transformation of marketing, uh, would you say Amazon has created new forms of work? Well, certainly the when you read this book, Geisler's new book, or just about any of these accounts by journalists that have gone either undercover at Amazon or have interviewed current workers, I've certainly interviewed a number of them, it doesn't sound very new, right? So yeah. some of the process is very new, and yet 
you know, I quote Marx in the piece. We're talking about the alienation of people from their labor and working people to the bone. I mean, all of these YouTube videos that people make are about their feet ache and they have to go to the hospital or they die in this facility from a heart attack. This is very old. And I think that's really an important takeaway is that if you look beyond the, you know, the remarkable kind of technology and place that can get your package to your door within two days, if not sooner, what we're seeing is very, very old. And I think people should maybe not rule out old forms of dealing with exploitation of labor. Alex Press, her article on work on the Amazon assembly line appears in the new issue of The Nation magazine. You can read it at thenation.com. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.